1: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm not speaking with you today from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. Instead, I'm dialing it in from Minnesota where it was negative four this morning. Don't worry, I'm warm. Uh, Today, I'm gonna play an interview I just did with Randall Stevenson. As you know, he's the CEO of AT&T. As you know, he now owns the company formerly known as Time Warner. We talked about how that merger is going, the future of 5G, at ts views on sports betting and a bunch of other stuff. It's a good, fun, fast interview. We taped it last week at the NBA All-Star Tech Summit in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you can listen to it right now for free. Enjoy. Randall, hey Peter, nice to see you. I got to say, it was very exciting to get uh, introduced by Mod Rashad. That's I got to cool. go back in time and tell my eight-year-old Vikings fan self that was going to happen one day. I want to talk about the future. Um, Why don't we start there? We just saw a cool 5G demo. And every time uh, you or anyone else from the telco business comes on a stage like this, you talk about the importance of 5G. As far as I can tell, 5G means faster data. What does that mean for a consumer? Because our phones and our our internet
2: connections are pretty fast right now. What's going to be better for us? when 5G shows up? It's it's more than fast. I mean, it, fast is a key element to it. I tell people it's like connecting a fiber optic cable to your phone, but but it goes beyond that. Uh, the technology of 5G puts you in a world of no latency. And what that means is just instantaneous. And uh, it's, it's a real-time network. And uh, Think about the applications that require instantaneous connectivity. And the first one we all go to is autonomous cars, right? You do not want to be in a car that's relying on network connectivity if there's any latency.
1: You don't want buffering when you're trying to figure out if you're going to pass that truck or not.
2: Exactly, or if something a child comes out in front of a car. You don't want buffering if a child runs out in front of a car. And so this no latency, zero latency thing is a really, really big deal. It's the game changer. And as you saw in Adam's video, you know some of that looked terribly futuristic, but it's, it's really not because when you get to a world of high speed, no latency, then all of the stuff that's in that smartphone that you're holding right there, the storage no longer needs to be there. The yep. storage can be back in the network. The compute capacity no longer needs to be there. It can be back in the network. And why is that important? you start taking all of that and the power requirements out of that, now you get to a place where you don't need this big form factor. And you can actually begin to conceive of a world without screens. And that's what happens. You, you, you lose the screen. And uh, because suddenly you have a form factor that may look more like this. You don't have to have power. You don't have to have compute. You don't have to have storage in here. It's back in the network. And now you can begin to use really thin form factor capability and move to a world with no screens. So, how does the NBA conceive and, and think about a world of no screens? You saw some examples of it over there. Virtual and augmented reality become, I mean, truly possible in this kind of world. And
1: is this a world where you and Verizon and your remaining competitors all need to build out individual 5G networks? And as a consumer, I need to decide which network I'm going to be in. And, or does this require some sort of public infrastructure commitment from the U.S. or someone else to say, look, we're going to need to build, we're going to need to add capacity, and that's going to require government intervention
2: or support? Oh, it's, or it's, it's headed down a path where it will be a competitive environment. I, and I, obviously, being a, a capitalist mindset, think that's the right way. That's what will drive the fastest deployment of this. It ought to be a competitive race who gets there first who gets there with the best quality who gets there with the the best services on top of it so it will be each each or each company developing their own 5G infrastructure there are standards around it so that equipment manufacturers can, you know, develop to the same standards, and you have, you know, interchangeability and interoperability, but it will be a competitive
1: pursuit. And will that be evenly distributed, or am I going to, my best chance of getting 5G is if I'm in New York or Atlanta or Charlotte, as opposed to rural Montana?
2: Well, your best chance for getting it will be as if you're, first of all, on Uh, (laughs) AT&T. There's your softball. Once we get past that easy hurdle, then it's Look, it's it's no surprise that you will build out metropolitan areas first. This is a this is a whole different kind of technology deployment. You know, we're, you're accustomed to seeing mobile services deployed where you put up big cell site antennas. They're on top of buildings. You see them everywhere you go, right? And and they're just really large ones with big antennas that you know are probably as tall as you and I. Uh, this is going to be. Rather than tens of thousands big, of big antennas, it's going to be hundreds of thousands of small antennas, and they're going to be on light posts. They're going to be on the sides of buildings. They're they're going to it's going to look more more like a uh, a Wi-Fi router than a wireless antenna we're accustomed to seeing. And so, literally for AT&T to deploy this is going to be a couple of hundred thousand of these antennas deployed you will naturally go to metropolitan areas first
1: i get a press release from you guys every couple of weeks saying coming to minneapolis name your city how far before this stuff is is actually ubiquitous
2: and i have a good chance of getting it in any major metropolitan area ubiquity will be i mean true ubiquity i mean across let's call it the major nba and nfl cities you're probably gonna be a couple to three years, two to three years before you have ubiquity in those cities. Uh, Now you're going to have pockets of this that begin to emerge. And and so this is where you ask, what are the real use cases early on? The real use cases early on are not gonna be what you saw in Adam's uh, video. That will be three years from now, uh, truly uh, technology you're capable of deploying. Early on, it's going to be business applications. And so we're standing up uh, the world's f- first 5G hospital. And it becomes, for a corporate environment, think about getting rid of all Wi-Fi services, Wi-Fi routers, short Wi-Fi routers, because in a world of 5G, you no longer need that. You will see in Dallas the first 5G sports venue. It will happen to be named AT&T Stadium. But if I were an MBA owner, this would be something I'd be very interested in. Because you can deploy 5G in in your arena. Do you want me to ask him? What's that? You want me to ask Mark if he's interested in this? I already have. Okay. Um, (laughs) But you can deploy 5G in an arena. Now begin to think about the services you saw up here. Once you put it, you don't have to deploy a whole city to deploy an arena. We will be deploying AT&T this year. And is this a
1: practical substitution slash competitor for fixed broadband that I'm getting my that I'm streaming my Netflix on at home? In Brooklyn, is is this a practical com-
2: competitive solution for that, or is this going to be uh, is this going to augment that? Ultimately, it will be a substitute. I mean, when I say it's a substitute for Wi-Fi arrangements in a corporate office, you don't have to think very hard to say, "Oh, wow, that could be a Wi-Fi replacement or a fixed-line broadband replacement for the home." It's going to be a while before we have the technology so pervasively deployed that you can begin to think ubiquitously, using your term, of a replacement for fixed broadband. But it will ultimately be that. Throughout my career, everybody has said, look, wireless will never replace, pick the service you think. Wireless will never replace, landline telephone service. In my early days of my career, I did an analysis and I showed that by the year 2006, 25% of the home phones will be gone and replaced by wireless. Everybody in the industry, that's crazy, there's not enough capacity. We blew through that. We said in 2007, wireless will become the medium by which people access the internet, the medium. No way, there's not enough capacity. Well, along comes a guy with a black T-shirt and a, a touch screen phone that we, we uh, contract with him on. And that becomes the medium by which people access the Internet. Will this replace broadband to the home? Absolutely it will. How far out? Oh, I think within three to five years. Three to year. five years. And oh, that's yeah. a big shift because most
1: Americans have either one choice, maybe two choices of broadband providers and you're saying, we're gonna show up and we're gonna offer you the chance to do everything that you're getting broadband from now, but we're gonna deliver it to you wirelessly. And that's a real thing.
2: Oh yeah, it's a real years. thing. I mean, we're talking gig speeds our potential in a world of 5G, one gig speeds.
1: Good. In that video, Adam also mentioned gambling is here, it's coming, um, you are now a media business owner. What does professional sports gambling mean for Warner Media? as an opportunity? Is that something you want to dive into? Is that something you want to touch around the edges or maybe steer clear of altogether?
2: Well, we don't want to be, you know, running books. You know, that's, that's not our gig. Uh, but I think somebody might. I think I think one of your peers might end up actually being in that business at some yeah, point. Yeah, it's, it's quite possible. I don't, I don't see that being something that, that we would want to do, however. For moral reasons or business reasons? No, just or business reasons. It's like I wouldn't want to be a bank either, right? Uh, it's just not the kind of thing that we're good at and we should do. However, I am uh, a believer that gaming, gambling, is really critical to the business we're in, in that gambling just deepens the engagement of the fans and the experience. There's nothing that changes the fan engagement more than having something on the line on a game. And so broad, pervasive gambling is a huge driver of fan engagement.
1: And do you think the opportunity there is converting people who are already gambling, maybe not legally, And getting them to do it legally through a bunch of different options or do you think it's getting a casual fan who maybe is in a super bowl pool once a year and getting them to spend
2: a little bit more throughout the year it's it's all of the above and what our opportunity is and you're going to hear david levy talk about this more he's doing some great work on this but incorporating the gaming experience into the content that we deliver so if anybody watched the match the phil mickelson tiger woods match the day after thanksgiving you saw the first evidence of what this would look like. We had, not odds, I don't think we were allowed to put the odds on the screen on, on each shot, but we were able to put a percentage chance of being closest to the hole or, yeah. or winning the hole given where they were at a particular point in time. On the screen, while you're, watching the, while you're watching the match. Now, you don't have to be a visionary to think about how do you go from there to actually initiating a gaming, initiating, making a bet on each shot. Right, and
1: this is what you do in Europe today. Right, right. In game betting, in soccer matches.
2: And so drives further engagement, drives new business models for us. And oh, by the way, this is an area, just like if you're trading in the stock market, latency's really important. You don't wanna be the guy with the slow latency making a, a, an investment in a particular stock when things are moving. It's the same with gaming. Why is that important? 5G. Having 5G connectivity, no latency connectivity in a world of gaming where your bet is not being delayed behind twelve, you know, twelve other bets. Yes. You want it real time. So all of this comes together in terms of driving greater engagement, having the high speed, no latency networks, integrating it into your content. We think this is all just part of the so whole So you
1: guys are there, there's no moral issues here. You're you're gonna be involved in gaming. I think a police reporter already said they're doing a deal with Caesars, that's a turner property you guys are there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of moral issues, I mean, we're not condoning nor, you know, uh, saying we shouldn't be doing it. It's yeah. happening. I mean, people are gaming. And uh, and so making it legalized and putting rules around it is probably good in general for society.
1: Hey, it's Peter, still dialing in from Minnesota, still very cold. We'll be back right after this with Randall Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T. Let's talk about how you view the business of sports, TV rights in general. You guys have a big commitment with the NBA, goes through, what, 23, 24? Uh, right now you've got a big uh, deal with Sunday Ticket. I think that's going to come up for an option in, in the
2: near future. They have an option coming up.
1: Right, so, and you've talked in the past about, you know, obviously sports are a huge driver in costs. It's a big issue as people are cutting the cord. As someone who's now fully in the media business and thinking about whether how much and whether you're going to spend on rights, what are you thinking going a couple years into this? Is this do you want to keep making the same level of commitment into buying sports rights? If fewer people are going to be
2: paying for sports individually, maybe do you cut back your spend? How are you balancing all that out? Sports is critical to everything we're trying to do. We, if you think about AT and T today, we now have a media business which you know owns great content and lots of rights to sports and so forth. Then we have what you used to think of as AT&T being a distribution company, wireless, broadband, and TV distribution. And sports is really an important variable in each of those. In fact, when you think of live content, live media, that's always going to be very, very relevant. And live media, obviously, over here on the distribution side, is really critical. We want live content that's time-sensitive. Sports and news are it. And so we we are always going to want to have a premium position in sports and news, and so as we think about what type of sports do we want to be invested in, look, I have a real bias here, and that is that I I like those sports, and then particularly those those uh, leaders in sports who are trying to figure out how do we drive the best fan experience. There are some. Uh, sports folks and this goes from college through several professional and soccer whose primary objective is to slice up the rights really really thin and maximize the revenue over a three five year time horizon by how you slice up the rights It'd be the nfl i'm not there's several that have that, NFL's that, that really good this at approach <laughs> the the byproduct of that though is it creates part of my language just a crappy fan experience the fan doesn't know what I can get, where I can get it, on what device I can get it. In fact, depending on what device I'm carrying may dictate what content right. I can this get. Right, this works on a
1: phone but not an iPad.
2: Exactly. And, and that's a frustrating experience for a fan and for our customers. I will tell you, and I'm not just sucking up because I'm here and we have a 35-year relationship with the NBA. I think the NBA does one of the best jobs of stepping back and say, put yourself in the seat of the fan how do we create an experience that is the best experience for the fan, and they don't have to sit here and be thinking about what device and so forth. I I think they've done a terrific job, and so you know, those are areas that we really like to invest in. I want to invest in and be part of that, and uh, to the extent that other sports, and and, uh, no, I'm not just talking about NFL. There are several sports that we invest in. To the extent that we invest in those sports and we're working together to create a great fan experience, we will invest in those too. Sports is important to us.
1: But what about the idea of, uh, of saying, look, if you're going to buy content from AT&T, uh, Warner Media, you are going to get sports as part of that bundle versus saying, sports is an optional thing. You can pay for it or you can't pay for it. It's up to you.
2: Oh, We're headed down a path of uh, some call that a la carte, but... Think about what Levy and the team have done with Bleacher Report. I mean, it is the epitome of a la carte. So the NBA. Here's another example of what is in the best interest of the fan experience. You can now, on Bleacher Report, buy a game yep. for, I think, $6.99. Or you can buy the fourth quarter of a game. I think it's $1.99. I'm not sure exactly what the pricing. is. I think that's right. But think about that. That is the ultimate serving the interests of the fan. And uh, that's just a great business model. I think we're looking at this for, for European football and so forth as well. But uh, that, that is a la carte at the extreme, right? That's, that's, that's a hard decision to make, and you've got to be thinking about the fan first to go down those paths.
1: How likely do you think that, that the leagues themselves become direct distributors of their sports and cut you guys out or work together with you but also offer an option where you can buy a
2: package or a game directly through the leagues? Well, I mean, they do it today, right? I mean, you're seeing this happen today. Several leagues are going directly to the consumer, and I, it's not just sports. I mean, look, if you're in the, the, the media business, if you have premium content— you better be trying to figure out how you go directly to the consumer. That's where the business model is going. That's, this is why Time Warner acquisition was so important to us. Because this idea that if you own premium content and you think you're just going to, to generate returns by going wholesale through cable companies, satellite companies, and so forth, that's not gonna do it in, in, the, the, in today's day and age. You're gonna to have to figure out how to get directly to the consumer. That's why in Warner Media, it's now what we call Time Warner, we're standing up a direct to consumer platform that is called an SVOD, a video on demand service to go directly to the consumer. You're gonna to have to.
1: So let's talk about that world. So you guys have said we're coming out with this late this year, but I think actually it's really gonna launch next year, the full service going up against Apple. Amazon, Netflix,
2: little company Netflix, yeah.
1: Disney, Fox, uh, they're either all in the market. Or they're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars on content. How much capacity do you have to sort of compete with them dollar for dollar? You've already taken on a ton of debt just to do this Warner Media deal. How much flexibility do you have to sort of keep up with them uh, for if they're going after a deal that you want at the same
2: time? The, the debt situation. We'll have the lion's share. That debt paid off by end of year this year. So I, I, uh, I'm not sitting here thinking the debt somehow is a uh, inhibitor to what we need to do. Warner Media. Think about Warner Brothers Studios. I, it, I don't think people appreciate just how deep and broad their IP library is, intellectual property library. I mean, just try to conceive of what sits within Warner Brothers. In fact, I think the best example of this that people don't think about is Netflix licenses a lot of Warner Brothers content. And so last year, the uh, the contract for Friends, the rerun Friends, right? Came up for renewal with Warner Brothers. We own that intellectual property. And when it appeared that Netflix might lose Friends, their customers, there was an outcry. It was a, it was an, it was a surprising outcry from their customers. Netflix wanted to relicense just Friends. Well, Friends is just one little piece of content sitting within Warner Brothers. They have a library of this kind of stuff, plus movies, plus continued regeneration of new stuff. Now, at HBO, there is a a library of content here that I, I believe will rival just about anybody. And it's not going to require a ton of new investment, some it will require some new investment. We've already said, We're going to plow a lot of money, additional money, into HBO to beef up that library. And so what is the objective of this? I'm convinced that as you go three, four years out, every household will have at least one, two, three video-on-demand subscriptions. A Netflix, a Hulu, a Disney. Do we think our library and our service is so compelling that we will be one of those that's in virtually every household? We actually do. We're convinced that we will be one of those those video-on-demand subscriptions that will be in the household. I also believe that attached to video-on-demand, if you have the opportunity and the potential to offer live TV as well, can you offer the NBA through TNT? Can you offer CNN? Can you offer live content around that? We can. And I think you have a really unique offering in the marketplace. This is where we're headed.
1: And, and you, you've, got, you've talked about this publicly a little bit, right? Right now you've got a deal with Netflix, with Friends, where they're going to have it this year. As you guys launch next year, you're going to have the option of taking it back or uh, making it available on both platforms. And if you come we down did a one non-exclusive other, deal. Right. Yeah. Do you imagine that that becomes an exclusive show for Friends that eventually your best stuff is eventually only distributed through
2: Warner? So I, I don't believe there's going to be a cookie-cutter approach to how you license content. I think Friends is an example where you look at that and you say, is that going to drive unique subscriber acquisition capabilities just by having it exclusive? Probably not. But do you need it in a library? Yes. So why would you not license it out on a non-exclusive You think
1: you can, you think you can, have, you can sell it to two people, yourself and somebody else? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Especially that kind of content, for sure you can. Now, there's other content that will come out, and, and you can, I'm not saying this is what we're doing, but just as an example of where you might go, uh, Aquaman, you know, thing just did a billion dollars in the box office, and it comes out of the window, and at some point you can put it on your on-demand service. Is it conceivable that for a period of time it's exclusive to your on-demand service? Yeah, I think there is. Does it need to be exclusive indefinitely? Probably not. But these are the business model questions we're going through. One thing I'm impressed by with the folks in in Warner Media very sophisticated people in terms of how they think about licensing, what you hold for exclusivity basis and so forth. And so, it's going to be an interesting equation to kind of walk. Through. Are
1: you guys all synced up on that? Because uh, when that when that Netflix story, when the Friends story came out, there was some question about, well, maybe the the guys on in Burbank think this, but the guys in New York, HBO, think that. Are you guys are, are they all synced, or is this a discussion that you're still having with the people who are running your various
2: media units? Uh, If you're asking, does everybody within AT&T always agree with everybody at all times, the answer is unequivocally no. And uh, do we have good, healthy debate around issues of this? And by the way, this is a significant issue. It's a big-time issue. It's a business model issue that, you know, what you do has lasting implications. So good, healthy debate and dialogue, darn right we do. Prior to
1: you guys buying the company, there was this narrative that said, you know what? You got the telco guys from Dallas, and they're going to buy this media company with with these, these delicate flowers in New York and Los Angeles and there's going to be a culture class. You got
2: rid of my white socks, as you
1: said. Uh, there you go. And uh, how have you thought about that integration how to give people their space but also say, look, we are going to go in a different direction. We, we're going to ask new things of you. Your, your, your uh, lieutenant, John Stanky, compared this to childbirth and then regretted saying that. But what he meant was this is going to be difficult. Um,
2: how is that process going? You're about a
1: year into it, I guess, a little less than a year. Uh,
2: I think it's going as well as we could have expected. My my objective from day one was to run this acquisition different than we've run any other acquisition. In a a typical acquisition, we come in, we have processes, we have everything from travel and entertainment expenditure guidelines to uh, cultural aspects. And we literally just forklift that onto the target and boom, start here running go, execution the new and off we go, bam, right? We get we get synergies within a year and this thing's all, it's, it's, we're really good at that. This one we said, it's not the play we're gonna run here. This play, this thing is gonna be held independent. It's gonna be run very independently. There are some connective tissue that we have to get in place to, to create the value by it being part of the same family. We're gonna be very careful in terms of how we get to that, but we will have to run this thing independently for a number of reasons. First of all, it's a very different kind of business. It inherently and necessarily has a very different culture. And by the way, I wanna protect that culture, but I also need to protect this telco guy culture you talked about over here a minute ago. We're really good at logistics and and driving results and, and execution. You don't want this one polluted also by you know, a lot of the stuff going over here. Those are very independent and necessary cultures. This one over here is a talent-based culture. And every single night, every asset drives home. And so protecting the talent, protecting directors and protecting producers and making sure that you maintain an environment where they want to do business with you is critical. And so I think so far, mission accomplished. Yeah. Now, can we get the connective tissue pulled together, I'll let you know come fourth quarter when we launch this video on demand service. Good,
1: uh, you guys are, are distributors of, of sort of conventional TV bundles through DirecTV, DirecTV Now. You're gonna have a, a service that you're gonna charge me some amount of money through or that's gonna have HBO and a bunch of other stuff. Right. Uh, Americans have limited amount of money. If I have to decide between buying a sort of traditional bundle that's got ESPN and a bunch of other stuff versus a Warner Media streaming service, which would you prefer I buy? Which would I prefer you buy? Yeah, as AT&T, what, where do you want me to spend my money if I have to choose between one of the two?
2: Look, I, I just, from my standpoint, I, I better have a product that fits your needs than I want you to buy a product that fits your needs because you're gonna stay with us longer, you're gonna spend more money with us, you're gonna have a longer relationship with me. If you're asking the question, where do we make more money in the short run, we make more money on the old legacy stuff. We always do in a business like ours. You know, we, the highest margin product we have today is, what would you guess? Landline telephone? A landline telephone. Now, I'm not out pushing you to buy landline telephones, all right? Uh, but that is our highest margin product. That is a product that's, that's in decline, and it will one day we'll finally be allowed by the regulators to turn the switch and, and remove that service. But, uh, but that's not where we tell our customers we want them to go. We're constantly pushing them to the new platforms and the new services. This will be the same.
1: Okay, I'm I'm going to chalk that up as either.
2: I just want you I want you doing what is in your interest, not what's in my interest.
1: Awesome. We're out of time. Thank you, Randall. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Randall Stevenson for chatting with me. I like talking to Randall Stevenson. Thanks to the NBA All Star Tech Summit for recording that interview and letting us share the audio with you. And thanks to you. You guys, you listen. You're great. We love you. Um, We would love it if you told someone else about this show. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine podcasts like this one. Actually, just this one. Uh, Thanks again. Thanks to our sponsors. So many thanks. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media who bring those sponsors to you so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Joel Robbie edits this show. My producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson, produce this show. They produce it really well. This is Recode Media. We will see you next week.